There's something magical about unboxing. When you unbox BritBox, you uncover a world of British entertainment. Stream the UK's most brilliant series, including new and upcoming seasons of Shetland, Father Brown and Death in Paradise. Plus new originals like Payback, Irvin Welsh's Crime and Archie, the story of Hollywood's greatest leading man, Cary Grant. Unbox BritBox and escape to the best of British TV. Stream with a free trial at BritBox.com. Holy moly, everybody. We have a great episode for you holy today. Moly. Holy freaking moly. Um, but even holier molier, we have a lot of patrons to shout out. It's the holiest moliest. <laughs> <laughs> and we are starting off with some new champions for actors' rights. Woohoo! Fighting the good fight. We've got Lily Taylor Mead, Andrew Clutterbuck. Andrew Clutterbuck. And Natasha, welcome. Thank you for joining the fight. Actors everywhere are rejoicing. They are. And we also have some new vessel heads. Boats everywhere are rejoicing. Boats everywhere are rejoicing. <laughs> or, or spaceships. Spaceships. Or um, humans that Large have been possessed, possessed by demons. Vessels for, for demons or possession. All empty cases. <laughs> uh, and they are Lexi M and Tanisha Maney. Welcome aboard. We are really, really thrilled to have you here. And tr- truly, your support means the world to us. It really we does. Love you. Oh, we love you. Um, and another person who's freaking rejoicing today is Tony fucking Collette. Because, wow, my goodness, does she have a lot of friends joining her <laughs> inner circle. And we Love them. We love to see it. And they are Sarah Robinson, Noah, Andrew McDonough, Ben R., Davy Parks, Tim, Leah LaMarch, Sophie Brown, Grant Stephen, Ariana, Tiffany Allen, Alexandra Mason, Brandon Bullard, Gemma Varco, Marcella Fletcher, Rachel Erkenbert Hart, Jacob Varillo, Anna Melly, E.P. Calhoun, Sarah Thompson, Tanisha Maney, John Delgado, Mick, Andrea Shaw, Billy Martinez, Beth D, and Lauren Heimbaugh. Ooh! <laughs> Our cup floweth over. Our cup floweth over. Tony's cup floweth over. <laughs> wow. Thank you all so much. Holy heck. We love you unconditionally forever starting now. Yeah, we do. Boy, oh boy. This is very exciting. And we also have a few people that have upgraded to different tiers in the Patreon. And they are Natalie Pilgrim and Timmy Gripshover. And we freaking love you guys, too. We've been loving you. And mm. yeah, just everybody. The support really means a lot. And um it's very it's very nice and we really appreciate it (laughs) it's so cool and if you would like to become a patron and get access to bonus episodes we might start doing uh more video episodes that seem to be uh, you guys seem to like it so we might do more of them if (laughs) (laughs) if that's of interest to you Head on over to our Patreon at patreon.com slash TSDW podcast and join us at any one of these three levels. We'd be lucky to have you. And until until then, enjoy this episode. Um, We love you. We love you. 
This is Emily, Henley, and Sammy, and you're listening to Too Scary Didn't Watch. Hi everyone, welcome to Too Scary Didn't Watch, the horror movie recap podcast for those too scared to watch for themselves. I'm Emily, and I am too scared to watch scary movies. I'm Sammy, and I almost got tricked into saying I'm too scared to watch scary movies because Henley's not here, and that's her line. I like watching scary movies. (laughs) My head would have exploded. (laughs) My nose would have grown five inches. Um, Emily, how are you? (laughs) I'm I'm good. I'm good. It's been like an anxious week for me. Sure. Yep. These times. Do you know? Yeah, uh, it's been an anxious, yeah, Yeah. 18 months for sure. (laughs) And really like a thing that I've just, I'm so tired of having to like figure out what is safe and good. Mm -hmm. We just don't have to do that so much prior to this whole stretch. And like, it's, it must be like a big part of parenting, just being like, what's okay and what can I do and what's right and what, like parents Mm -hmm. must be like this all the time, except the stakes are like higher (laughs) because I'm just like, I don't know. Can someone just fucking tell me? Can someone just tell me what I'm supposed to do? I'm so tired of making these decisions. Um, But that's not what I'm going to talk about. What I'm going to talk about (laughs) is something I've been watching. Sammy, you've been watching it too. Um, And talking about The Bachelorette. Mm. I was more upset by this week's Bachelorette than I have ever been like I have had more strong feelings than I have ever had watching the show ever, ever. And I like, yeah, can believe it, but also couldn't believe it because I also know it's like very manufactured. We listen to, as we've talked about before, Game of Roses. We're like, we live in L.A. We understand the like television portion of the thing. Yes. But I so I don't normally get very emotionally involved because I don't really buy most of it. <laughs> mm hmm. Um, wow, I was so angry in my bones. And it was, and I'm still, and like, I'm talking, today is Thursday. We watched it on Monday. I like keep thinking about it. I keep looking it up. I keep like trying, I'm like, I'm fucking furious. Yep. And like engaged in a way that I have never been. And it's just all I can think about. I'm right there with you. And if you can believe it, this is what I was going to talk about today, too. <laughs> Thank God. I thought there might be a, a, a chance. And I was here. like, I fucking need to I need to keep talking about it. Yeah. So what happened Ugh. for our listeners that don't watch The Bachelorette is there was the most upsetting conversation I've ever seen on it. That was just one of the contestants just completely gaslit and emotionally manipulated the lead in this conversation that was so toxic and emotionally abusive to the point where at the end of the conversation she was on her knees begging him to stay crying and he looked at her with such disdain and said i deserve better than you and it was so gross and upsetting and triggering anyone who's ever experienced any sort of emotional abuse, I'm sure, was like super triggered by that episode. They didn't put up a trigger warning. In fact, they gave him like basically a bachelor edit, like they're setting him yeah, up to be the next him bachelor. Like the hero, the hero of the story. And, and also like uh, it was yeah, it was like to watch any I don't fucking care. I, again, it's like 
is she, does she really love him? Was her heart really broken? I don't fucking know. I don't really care. To watch anyone speak to someone they supposedly love that way and 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 just what it like evoked in her, she was apologizing to him. It was so insane to watch. And then to have him, yeah, be treated like the hero to like, because again, I've looked it up like a thousand times to see people's takes of like, he was pouring his heart out and like she couldn't. It, it's like disturbing to me on so many levels. Yeah. Especially, I think, okay, this guy was the, we're talking about Greg Grippo. Y'all, if you want to look <laughs> it up. <laughs> um, He was the front runner. He was like, uh, by all accounts, going to win um the show uh if you think about it in those terms which i do and um was like this sweet shy guy the whole time and and i had seen on dumois my other fucking thing that i can't get enough of that he's like an actor and none of this is real and there had been some posts that he had been like bad to ex-girlfriends and he had never mentioned my name but it was enough details that i was like it's gotta be this guy my favorite thing is that it said he doesn't go down on women i I (laughs) screamed about that because of after seeing this i'm like fucking of course of course he doesn't of Of course course he doesn't he's a tiny little baby bitch boy who doesn't respect women but yeah um he yeah, he played it off so well for this entire until this episode that I was truly like I had seen those things and was like, I don't it just doesn't. I believe that it's true, but I can't see how I truly was like I had gotten myself wrapped up in the narrative like maybe he's changed this mm-hmm. person. I don't know at all on a TV show. Mm-hmm. And then it was like a fucking switch flipped in this episode. And immediately I was like scared of him like scared of him through my tv i was like this is a scary man yeah it was terrifying to watch how quickly it just turned and it became the conversation became uh, it's like when there's nothing you can say to the other person because the conversation is not about reaching an understanding the goal of the conversation for that person is to make you feel like shit like you can just see there's nothing you can fucking say to him in this moment he's made up his mind He's just trying to put on a whole big dramatic show and make you look like the bad guy, make you the villain and make himself the hero make, and, and the make victim. you really feel like you are the bad guy somehow. Yes. Like, yeah. The thing that, oh, my God, this is we should move past it. So sorry, everybody. <laughs> I'm just like, again, I'm it's like I have a few people with whom I can really like fucking go <laughs> into this with Um, the thing that really like was like making my blood boil more than anything was the him being like you you weren't even katie you're not even being yourself like right. telling you her became who a different she person. fucking is like bitch you're not me like what the fuck does that mean i like you i don't, I don't even know who you were in that moment it's like katie wasn't even there i oh my god I, uh, and Katie, I feel like I, I, whatever. I don't. I don't know her. I don't. Not that invested in her. But as at least as a bachelorette, she's pretty strong-willed. I've like enjoyed that about her. Right. Both in the show and on social media, I did enjoy her response to all of this on social media. But that too was like so gross to watch. She was. She was so unable to defend herself. She became so. Not I'm not not as a judgment, not her own fault, but like weak and small in that moment because that is exactly what the intention was right, to that was do to goal. her. And it was just like really jarring to see like that's some of the fuck most badass, strong willed people, women I know 
have been on the abuser abusive end of it, like being abused in a relationship. Right. And it's so easy to be like, but they're so like tough and strong and cool. How could that happen to them? Or that doesn't make sense. Or like, I don't know. And to watch it play out and be like, that's fucking how. Right. He makes you feel insane. Like you can't trust your own reality. Mm -hmm. Like Mm -hmm. you have to beg and plead with him that Mm -hmm. you are somehow in the wrong, that you fucked up with something that was perfect and it's all your fault. Like, And now it's completely ruined and there's nothing you can do to fix your one mistake that you made. Everything is thrown away. Now, I was so in love with you yesterday. And now, because of this one thing, I'm not anymore. I'm not anymore. And goodbye. And there's and and like. And then so then there's that. And then on top of it, the presentation of him as this like heartbroken victim. Right. Going to be the next bachelor by all accounts. Right. And and people on Twitter who, again, I don't know. I don't know them. I don't know their lives being like, oh, my God, poor Greg. I can't believe. Why didn't Katie just break down and tell him she was in love with him and make him stay? It's like, because that's fucking bullshit. Yeah. That's the beginning of an emotionally abusive relationship right there. Oh, my God. I just like have those are red flags left and right. Yeah. So what I was going to say is that um, I started therapy last week. And so I had my second session today. (laughs) And I was like, really sorry to do this right off the bat. But I've got to talk about the bachelorette. (laughs) (laughs) I talked about it in therapy because it's really, yeah, it's like rattled me to my core. I was very very triggered by it and if they fucking make him the next bachelor i'm literally (laughs) rioting Uh, and i will be single-handedly doing everything in my power to take down abc (laughs) let's take down abc let's do Uh, it let's do it take him down but before we do that before we do that we've got some more pressing things (laughs) we should recap this week's movie for our beloved listeners oh wait one more thing to say is that you guys your response (gasps) on our post for our 100th episode uh basically made me fall over with happiness i feel like i was just elated yesterday oh my god Reading so all of your guys' memories and favorite things was so, so fun. So and thank I, you it guys was so things, much. We love you so much. Thank you for that. And there are things that I'd like forgotten about that I read, like lines and stuff that really made me laugh. Just like what a joy. Thank you so much. Wow. It's real. It really made us all so very happy. Yeah, it was delightful. So you uh, while we were having bad weeks because of greg grippo that was the real a real turning point (laughs) thank goodness thank goodness really lifted us out of that that three days of rage (laughs) (laughs) um okay emily doesn't even know what this week's movie is so this is an exciting surprise we are going to be talking about eyes without a face don't love the sound of it (laughs) (laughs) i guess it's better than face without eyes for me. Mm, I could see arguments for both. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this is one that we've had requested before. It came out in 1960. Ooh. It's a French film. Um, the original title being Les Yeux Sans Visage. Oh, beautiful. I'm going to do my best French. I don't really, I don't, I don't know much French. Jenna's our French speaker of the crew. And she's not here, so uh, she's not here. <laughs> you're gonna have to hear mine. Okay, it is directed by Georges Franju, 
It's like, I feel like I can only do it if I'm leaning into the accent. Uh-huh. How else? George Franju. You know, you couldn't say that. <laughs> right, right. But I always feel like it's a little embarrassing to, like, pretend you're French all of a sudden. That's true. It is the one that's hard to do. There's like, no middle ground for it. There's no middle ground. So I no. say... Give me fucking, uh, what's the candelabra's name from uh, Beauty and the Beast? Lumiere. Lumiere. Give me your best Lumiere. <laughs> it is written by Pierre Boulot. Oh, that's good. Thomas, uh, I don't even know if this one's French, uh, Narcajac, Jean Redon, Claude Sautet, Pierre Gascard, based on a novel by Jean Redon. Oh my god, I love this. Only French movies from here on out, please. Starring Pierre Brazeur, Alida Valli, Edith Scobb, that one doesn't really roll off the tongue as much, <laughs> and Juliette Meniel. And it is streaming on HBO Max. Wow. It's a great film. It is a film that is very widely praised, it is on a lot of the best horror movies of all time lists. Ooh. It has a 98% on Rotten Tomatoes, a 90 on Metacritic, and a 7.7 7 on IMDb. Pretty high for IMDb. Pretty high for IMDb. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I take it you don't know anything about this movie. I don't. And had you ever seen it before, or was this your first time? I had never seen it before, but I had kind of heard of it just from people requesting it and... I know I had seen kind of the, the, the cover image before. It's a memorable cover, c- cover image. Okay. Welcome to Cocktail Hour. This week we are drinking Le Masque, which is French for the mask, if you couldn't tell based off of my excellent pronunciation. To make this drink, you will need one and a half ounces of lemon vodka, half an ounce of elderflower liqueur, one ounce of grape juice, and half an ounce of pear puree. You will add all ingredients to a cocktail shaker with ice, shake vigorously, and strain into a rocks glass, and garnish with two grapes. Hold on to your faces, and cheers! Um, some trivia for us is the uh, mask that Michael Myers wore in Halloween was influenced by the mask in this film. Mm. And I feel like there's also a, a film called The Skin I Live In uh, that has a similar kind of mask. So I w- wouldn't be surprised if this mask influenced a bunch of masks. It's a good mask. <laughs> it's a good mask. <laughs> uh, the initial release of this film was met with negative reactions from critics. And uh, one French critic stated the film was... In a minor genre and quite unworthy of uh, Georges Franju's abilities. Huh. Uh, so it got pretty bad reviews. And I've, I also read that one reviewer almost got fired for writing it a good review because yeah. the, pre- the publication or whatever was like, no, 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 people hate this movie. We hate this movie. Write it a bad review. <laughs> <laughs> change your mind. Change your mind. <laughs> um, we're we're going to get some nasty nightgowns in this movie, except... Ooh. I guess this trivia maybe contradicts that because the gowns are made by Givenchy. <laughs> so oh, less I'm nasty sorry, I and more Givenchy. Givenchy, excuse me. Givenchy. I don't know if that's how you say it, but I feel like it sounds... De Givan- de Givenchy. De that Givenchy. Sounds right. That sounds right. Um. Well, they're nasty. They're nasty, but 
Gorgeous. But gorgeous. <laughs> they can be both nasty and gorgeous. Nasty! <laughs> Beautiful. Uh, it's rep- uh, when the film screened at the Edinburgh Film Festival in 1960, it was reported that seven audience members fainted. <laughs> we love we love that. Eli Roth would love that. Why do you think, do people just like start constricting their breath because they're scared? You know, I think... I want to know the science behind passing out from fright at a movie. Well, there's people that can pass out at the sight of blood, right? Like, I feel like it must oh, just be people true. that have are super sensitive. I always think about, you know, that one of the first films is that literal, like, 15-second clip of a train coming towards the camera. It's just called, like, train coming into the station. And the first time that screened, because people hadn't seen any movie before everyone like ran out of the theater screaming (laughs) which i don't know why i thought about that when wow imagining these people all fainting so i feel like we're getting more desensitized now but right okay back in the day people were probably more sensitive as well but people still faint in movies now but they've got to be like audition and green inferno because yeah this isn't this wouldn't do it in this day and age. Well, I'll be the judge of that. Maybe I'm about to pass out. <laughs> <laughs> Just see your chair flip backwards, your feet fly in the air. Yeah, a huge <laughs> pass out. Uh, it was chosen by Entertainment Weekly as one of the hundred uh, new classics, ranking as number 70, 74 of the greatest movies of the last 25 years. Mm. It's, again, included among the 1001 movies you must see before you die, so I get to cross another one off my list. Nice. Um, to 998 to go. <laughs> <laughs> there are we'll so see. many fucking movies. There's so many. Uh, it's really overwhelming. Watching a movie like this, watching what I noticed about watching a movie from the 60s, because it's hard for me <laughs> mm-hmm. and my attention span, is you feel accomplished afterwards. Like, I feel like I just... Yes watched a piece of cinema history and mm-hmm. it felt like not just like you watching did a something movie. good and important yeah, yeah. <laughs> gave myself a good pat on the back after finishing it yeah i would i get it it ranked number 27 on rotten tomatoes 200 best horror films of all time but on another list on rotten tomatoes of the 100 best horror films of all time it's number 22 so i'm confused because i feel like that should be that this should be the same number on both of those lists wait what was the first list the 200 best horror movies of oh. all time versus the 100 best horror movies yeah, of it, all I time mean, it, theoretically yes, it should be at the it same should spot. have the same <laughs> but it's 27 on Are one it, well, and 22 on the other if we're including 200 i'm gonna put a few up but more at the top <laughs> change my ranking a bit interesting interesting and I got a little too caught up in Rotten Tomatoes ranking list because they recently ranked all of Nicolas Cage's movies. And because Pig just became his highest rated movie of all Whoa. time. And I was really trying to see where Mandy falls into this. And Mandy's not included in any of the lists. And it's not included in these horror lists either, even though I checked the numbers and it should be on there. So I'm gonna must I must uh, right, have to email Ron Tomatoes uh, yeah, after right, this. Write him, write him. I'm gonna. That's write crazy him. that Mandy wouldn't be included on his best m- movies. Yeah, no, I mean it's just a mistake that I'm gonna have to point out. I'm gonna a sternly worded email is coming good, their way. Good, good, good. Sammy, you do that, and then we'll take down ABC. <laughs> yes, one at a time. We're coming for you. Watch out. 
Well, watch out. We're going to write some stern <laughs> emails. <laughs> you better watch out. Um, that is all the trivia I have. So shall we watch this trailer? I yes. need to send it to you. Pourquoi mens-tu? Depuis le temps que je te connais, je lis sur ton visage. Dis-moi la vérité. Be a good Halloween costume. That was freaky. It's freaky, yeah, and it's, it's a memorable. Than I thought it was going to be image. for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And that's like music from the film. And I think it sounds a little circusy, which is kind of funny. Yeah. It's all very like. Sounds like, yeah, like you're like going in circles kind of atmosphere. Yeah. Whoa. Okay. Okay. Your interest is peaked. That's a scary mask. It's a hard plastic. That's a hard plastic mask. That's tough for you. On a lady, which we don't often get to see. Yeah, that's true. Is this our first lady in a mask? There were some women who wore masks oh, in um, in the Purge. In the Purge, and and strangers. Our first like main one, you know. Yeah, Michael Myers esque mask wearer. Right. All right. Well, shall we? Let's find out what's up with this woman. It's the bleakest time of the year, so you know what that means. We deserve to get cozy on the couch, rewatch our favorite TikTok videos, and drink a goddamn glass of wine. If you ever struggle to pick out the right bottle, you will love our next sponsor, Naked Wines. Did you know that when you buy wine today, most of the money goes to things like fancy packaging, big budget marketing campaigns, and tax? That is crazy. Naked Wines is a subscription service that seamlessly connects you to the finest independent winemakers on the planet. So you get a box of the market's best quality wines, however often you'd like, for a fraction of the price. And hold on to your butts, you guys, because the deal they have for you is insane. Just wait. So how do they do it? Naked Wines connects winemakers and wine drinkers directly, allowing for vineyard-to-door delivery at up to 60% off what you would normally pay in a store. By cutting out the traditional retail middleman costs and markups, winemakers can pass those savings on to you without skimping on quality. I can't stop talking about Naked Wines. I love that their quiz matches you with bottles that you love, and each shipment includes wines they recommend based on your previous ratings. I'm currently loving their organic options, especially the Chris Condos Cabernet from Mendocino County, and they've been around for 10 years, and they fund over 90 independent winemakers. So with no commitments or membership fees, you can enjoy Naked Wines hassle-free. And the best part, every bottle is a passion project from an independent winemaker, so you're literally making an independent winemaker's dream come true. So head to nakedwines.com slash too scary and enter voucher in the top right when you get to the website and put in too scary for both the code and password to get six bottles of wine for just $39.99 with shipping included. That's $100 off and less than $7 per bottle. So that's nakedwines.com slash too scary and use the code and password too scary and grab six bottles for just $39.99. One last time, that's nakedwines.com slash too scary, code and password too scary 
for $100 off your first six bottles. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the Metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly, patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Okay, so we start with a woman driving and... She's looking a little stressed and she moves her rear view mirror to look in the seat behind her. And there is a bundled up woman with something covering her face, kind of huddled in the corner of the backseat of the car. And she they keep driving and she eventually pulls over and pulls this body out of the back out of the backseat. And we see that this woman is dead. This it's she pulls her out and basically dumps her body in the river on the side of the road and gets back in her car and drives away. Then we see a man, Dr. Genesier, giving a talk on um, rejuvenation and how the key to that is basically skin transplants and uh, like skin grafting. Early days of, I guess... The idea of a facelift is what he's talking about. And there's a lot of like rich women in the in the audience listening to this talk. You know how rich people are always going and listening to doctors give oh, talks. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, <laughs> uh, that's the one thing I know about rich people is they like to listen to doctors. Yes. Speak. And so he's very he's a very serious man, this doctor. And after the talk, a woman comes up to him or two women come up to him to basically compliment him on the speech, say, this is so interesting, the work that you're doing. And he's pretty short with them and says, thank you, and kind of moves along. And one of the women says to the other, man, he's changed so much since his daughter vanished. (laughs) 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 Really made me laugh. Like they're irked that he's rude to them. Get over your vanished daughter. <laughs> also, vanished is. Yeah. I'm sure that's like some sub. I bet it would be the same as what we would say, like went missing, but. Right. You've really changed since your daughter vanished. <laughs> <laughs> Man, you've changed. <laughs> um, and as he's kind of leaving the building. A man comes up to him, says he had a phone call for him while he was giving his uh, talk and says, basically, they found a woman's body and they want you to go down to the police station to see if it's your daughter to try to ID it. Wow. So his daughter went missing very recently. Pretty recently, but he's changed a lot in that time. (laughs) I mean, (laughs) he's still giving a talk. Jeez. Yeah. Cut him some slack, ladies. Uh, we see back at the police station two detectives de detectives detectives talking they're talking about the woman that they the body that they have brought back to the station and they say her face is uh completely um it, uh disfigured 
something. Her face is basically gone, is what they say of this body that they have found. Vanished. <laughs> her face is vanished. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and they say that kind of matches up with Dr. Genesier's daughter, wh- whose face was really badly burned in a car accident. And oh. one of the detectives says, but this face looks like the edges of the face almost are cut. Like it looks almost like straight lines around where the skin is damaged and her regular skin. It's like bizarre. Uh, but Dr. Genesier arrives and, uh, oh, and just before he arrives, the detectives say another young woman is missing as well. Kind of the same description. Call her dad in as well. We'll see if either of them can ID her. Dr. Genesier comes in first, looks at her, says, that's her, that's Christiane. Uh, and they say, are you sure? He says, absolutely. That's her. And they give their condolences. I'm so sorry. And as he's leaving the station, the other father is arriving and says, was it your daughter? Um, and he says, yes. And this man is very, very distraught. He's like, are you sure? Are you sure? My daughter's been missing for 10 days. And, uh, Dr. Genesee is like, pretty mean to him and says uh he says how odd that you think i should comfort you when you still have hope and my daughter's dead she's like okay i think we can be a little nicer than that but sure i guess he's changed so much he's changed so much so then we see the same woman from the opening scene that dumped the body kind of walking around the city streets looking at young women that look similar to the young woman that we saw before. It's like a early 20s woman with short, light brown hair and blue eyes. It's black and white, so I only know that because they say that. But we see her kind of looking like she is scoping for someone. And then we cut to... The funeral, Dr. Genesier's daughter is being buried, and there's other funeral attendees watching him and his daughter's fiance kind of mourning, saying, Oh, like, this is so awful for them. And we see standing next to them is the same woman that we just saw scoping for women, and so she knows them they are all together basically arm in arm and so we the audience say "Uh oh what's going on here (laughs) yeah we got questions and this we learn here that this woman's name is louise and i recognized her Hmm. as the same woman that I loved so much in Suspiria, and it is the same woman, and it just felt exciting to recognize somebody in a movie from 1960. That is cool! <laughs> She's so great. Um, her name is Alida v- Valley, and wow. She's Croatian, and but speaks Italian, English, French, and Serbo-Croatian, and just wow. so talented. In, she's still alive? I've seen, no, she is not still alive. But yeah, I feel like she's acting in different languages in 
this movie and that movie, and she's equally great in both. This movie was made in the 60s? Yes, and Suspiria, I think, was 72. Wow. It's crazy that the 60s was 60 years ago. It's very crazy. Because I was like, oh, that's not that. what happened to her, but probably it was 60 years ago. They're mostly dead, yeah. They're, it is very bizarre watching movies and being like, nah, they're all dead now. <laughs> uh, they're not all dead, but most of them are. Most of them That's are. how time works, I guess. That is exactly it. Yeah. But it is weird. Mm. Uh, so then the funeral ends and Dr. Genesier and Louise are the last two left. The hit the. A widowed fiance. Are you widowed if you weren't married? You know what I mean. Oh, yeah. There probably isn't really a term for that. Probably not. But the fiance leaves, and so it's just Dr. Genesier and Louise. And Louise looks upset and says, can we leave? Like, I can't take any more of this. I can't, I can't take this anymore. And Dr. Genesier slaps her. She's becoming uh, hysterical. And basically tells her to get it together. So we know something's going on. And then they head home. And on their drive home, we see that they live basically in a castle. It's a huge home. And on the road to their castle, there's a sign up that says basically no trespassers. Uh, But his doctor's office is on the same premises as his house. So it's two separate buildings, his clinic and his main house. So they go into the main house and there's very long shots of him parking the car, going through the garage door and walking across the foyer of the building, (laughs) walking up a staircase. There's just like these kinds of things that just, don't happen in movies anymore where it's Mm -hmm. about five minutes for him to get to the next part of the the movie. (laughs) (laughs) That's very beautiful, but it is just so funny that I'm like, oh, people just don't do this anymore. Yeah. So it's just funny to think we need to see his movies are still so long. (laughs) That this movie's pretty short. This is 90 minutes. And five of them are him walking in the house. Yes. Five or I mean probably more than five. We get more walking shots later. They just were like, this is a beautiful house. We got to show him walking around. And it is a beautiful house. So, mm-hmm. uh, But so eventually he arrives in a bedroom upstairs and we see a young woman lying face down on a bed crying. And in this room, there is a cage of doves and he he goes next to the bed where she is and finds this printed out obituary for Christiane and basically says, where did you find this? And she's crying and says, what have you done? And he says, I did what needed to be done. And I did it all for you, Christiane. So we are now told that his daughter did not die and that they were trying to do... I guess, a face transplant of that other girl who did die. And so they put her burned skin on this other woman. 
I think that the other woman just had no skin, just exposed flesh versus burned skin. I see. Okay, okay. And and so this was the other guy's daughter. Yes, this that was the other guy's daughter. And he said, I went a step. I took a risk and I said that was you so that no one would ask any more questions like we're going to be safe now. (laughs) And. Uh, she eventually lifts her head to look at him and it's filmed very smartly where every time she's facing him, it's an over the shoulder behind her. So we never see her face, but we see oh. his, we see his reaction and he says, Christiane, your mask, like you need to get into the habit of wearing your mask. And she says, you know, my mask scares me more than my face does. And he's like, no, you've got to, you've got to wear your mask. And we can see that she's just miserable and hates this situation and um, is basically just being kept in this room while they're trying to find other women to (laughs) steal their skin to put it on Christian's face. Uh, And one thing he says, one thing he says in the lecture earlier is that in order for it to work, you have to be a biological match but he means like you have to look exactly the same, which is very funny to think that that's how surgery works. Like you just have to look ex- like he doesn't say anything about blood type or anything like that. <laughs> He's like, you yeah, just have to look exactly the same. And yeah, because well, it's got to fit over your same skull. <laughs> <laughs> so it has to fit. Right. You have to have the exact same size face. So part of my research as a doctor is I do need to take the face off of somebody else. Mm -hmm. Some other person's face. Of course. You'll look great. Somebody else will be dead. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And so they're clearly fighting and Christiane is not happy with this situation. Dr. Genesier is basically saying, I'm doing this for you. Once we succeed, you'll see it'll all be worth it. And she eventually tells him to tells him to leave. And Louise comes in with the mask that we saw in the trailer, just a white plastic mask. Very Michael Myers-esque, as we know from the trivia based on it. And it's very creepy. And she puts it on and we get our first look at her face covered with the mask now. And yeah, she wears these big, elaborate nightgowns. And... Louise says, you know, it's okay. He's 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 doing his best. He, it's going to work. We're going to figure this out. And Christiane says something like he just knows it was his fault. The car accident was his fault and he's like doing this for himself to assuage his own guilt. And so Louise leaves her. Christiane is left alone and Sneaks out of her room and she's kind of tiptoeing around. Seems as if she's maybe not supposed to be leaving her room. And she creeps around the house and goes downstairs and finds a telephone. And she dials a number and we see her fiance answer on the other end and says, hello, hello. She doesn't say anything, but she's just listening to his voice longingly. Like she's she's very sad. Oh, fuck, he's not in on this? He's not in on this. Also, I literally had forgotten she was engaged because part of my thinking was his father feels, I mean, it's the 60s, maybe it's like, my daughter will never find love because I made her face ugly. I got to get her a nicer face. She was, fuck, she is in love with someone. She We didn't even give them the chance to overcome. 
this? The fu- she's, I think she was doing fine. She was doing fine. Yeah, the whole premise of this is 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 certainly flawed. The the motive behind it all is questionable. Okay. Mm, so then we see Louise outside again on the prowl, and she finds a girl alone in line for some like a movie. And goes up to her and says, I notice you're alone. I have an extra ticket for this. And the girl's very thankful, says, oh, my gosh, that's so nice of you. They watch the movie together. Then they go and grab coffee afterwards. And they're sitting and talking. And the girl reveals the girl's name is Edna. And Edna says that she needs um, a room. She's looking for an apartment. Uh, she needs to find somewhere to stay. And Louise says, oh, I have a I have a place. We, you can come check it out if see if you like it. But we have an we have an empty room that you could rent. Mm-mm. She says, oh, my gosh, that's so amazing. So lucky. They get in the car and they drive to the house, the big castle. And as they approach, Edna's already getting creeped out because it's pretty secluded and they're not in, not near the city. There's no neighbors around and she's getting immediately creeped out and uh they get out of the car and there's a ton of dogs barking and edna questions that says what's with all the dogs and louise says more to to keep you safe you'll be safe here and edna looks suspicious but they go in and open the they open the front door and we see dr genessier standing just waiting facing the front door like they basically open the door to him just standing right there and the light hits his glasses in this way that it reflects so his eyes look like they're glowing white like they do in um sin city i feel like elijah woods glasses like that where it it just looks really creepy (laughs) they're being very creepy they have absolutely no chill at all they're basically operating like maybe michael myers got that from them too (laughs) yeah exactly they uh are both like what can we get for you can we get you a drink and you're gonna love it here take a seat please sit here sit here and and is like um i'm actually in kind of a hurry i'm i'm meeting a friend after this they're like nonsense nonsense sit down let me get you that drink and she says well you know this is a little far out of the way for me i'd have to think about it um and they're like, nowhere's better than the suburbs. Nowhere's safer. And she's like, well, I will need to think about it and I can get back to you tomorrow. And they're like, tomorrow will be too late. And <laughs> like, they're just being so weird. But, and eventually, uh, Dr. Genessier puts a towel over her mouth with the liquid stuff on it. Chloroform. Chloroform. She's unconscious. And it's almost like, why bother? being creepy with like getting her just just do it right off the bat yeah you're you're not fooling anyone so we might as well just fucking go for it get it done maybe they're having fun maybe (laughs) but so they pick her up and start carrying her into this uh operating room and we see christian watching from above on a staircase and she starts tiptoeing down and following and seeing what's happening and she waits a bit before she goes into the operating room. I think she hears um, the doctor and Louise uh, go out the other side to go prepare for the surgery. And so when she goes into the operating room, the girl is there unconscious on the operating table. 
and she looks at her face and then she passes through the operating room to a, the door, a door where all the barking is coming from and she opens it and there's 10 or 15 dogs in cages barking big dogs and she goes she her movement she's so like ethereal and almost she just moves like a little doll like a little marionette doll or something and she goes Mm. and she like pets each one and we see that the dogs have bandages and maybe some sort of tests are being done on these dogs as well and we don't like it uh and so she goes back into the operating room and takes off her mask and she walks up to the girl again and touches her face and at that moment uh Edna wakes up and we get our first look at Christiane's unmasked face and it's blurry from Edna's point of view as she's kind of drugged so it's just a a, a blurry shot of a very heavily scarred burned face um and edna starts screaming and uh i think then uh dr genesier and louise come back in and are able to inject her with something that uh, knocks her out again too and they're now dressed for surgery they're in their scrubs and we get the surgery scene which is pretty gnarly for 1960 i feel like it looks really good for the time so and it's long it's i feel like about a five minute scene of basically uh the doctor saying scalpel and getting the scalpel or no first he gets a pencil and draws the line all around the face he says he's gonna this time take the face off as as all one piece and i guess previously he had cut smaller pieces and he thinks maybe that's why it didn't work and so he says this time we're going to be real careful and we're going to lift off the face as just one big face and so he draws the line first around the whole face and around the eyelids and then asks for the scalpel gets the scalpel and presses it along the line and uh it bleeds and it's like it's i'm sure chocolate syrup but it like it (laughs) looks pretty good and starts dripping down and i'm sure this is when the people were fainting in the in the theater and it's just really slow and so he'll he'll he does the scalpel and then he's got scissors that he's cutting the tissue cutting the tissue away and they clamp scissors on any anytime he's done cutting the tissue away they clamp scissors on it so it's like all these scissors dangling off her face that are like clamps ew it's nasty and I've actually seen a facelift in real life in my junior year of high school anatomy class. We got to sign up to go see plastic oh, surgeries. that's right. And it's fucking gnarly. And but it is like this, like it's uh, they just snip away at the tissue underneath your skin. Oh, fuck. Whew. Yeah, it's gnarly. So Woo! he is snipping at the skin underneath and we see him starting to pull it off <clears throat> And get those clamps on it. And Louise 
is helping in and eventually they get it all the way around and they each grab a couple of the um, scissor clamp things and they're able to slowly lift the entire face off and then we see her 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 bloody tissue underneath and um yeah it's just it's a very well done scene i was if impressed by how creepy it looked if you took someone's full face and put it on somebody else's face would they look like that? What shapes the face more? The it's gotta skin be or the skull? It's got to be. I would. I would guess skull bone structure. I think. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And the fact that there's just no talk of blood type or anything like that is very funny because that would be the first thing that I think would. I mean, I obviously I don't know anything about skin grafting like or that any, would be very anything important. like that. But I would imagine that your blood type is like the number one most important thing. But yeah, I would imagine so. Maybe that maybe they didn't know that in the sixties. Mm-hmm. Uh, so after surgery, we see a man come by with a stray dog and basically gives it to the doctor. Says another stray dog. So we see that he is collecting the stray dogs that have uh, that are being found in the streets of France, wherever, and. He is talking to Louise afterwards and saying, you know, if this is a success, my God, this is um, this will be huge if this actually works this time. And I've done so much. I've done so much wrong to get here, but um, it'll be worth it. And he says, and I've done so much wrong to you and put you through so much. And Louise says, but uh, don't like don't ever forget. I owe you my face. And she then lifts up. She wears always these very thick pearl necklaces. And she lifts up the pearl necklaces and we see a scar running along her throat. And so we are led to believe that she has received a face transplant from Dr. Genesier, which is a little confusing because it seems like if you've done it successfully before, then why are the stakes so high right now? Yeah, what's up with this? Anyways, but... Then we see that they have Edna bandage. She's looking like Goodnight Mommy, just mm. with bandages wrapped all around her face, locked in a room. And I'm curious what their plan is here with Edna. Yeah, she's seen a lot. I don't. Yeah, it's like, are you going to take care of her for the rest of her life? <laughs> like, what's. You think you can let her go and she's just not going to mention it? What do you think is going to happen here? So. Louise goes in to bring her some food and like it's clear that Edna's pretty drugged up still and as Louise is putting the tray in front of her Edna pulls a bottle out of somewhere and smashes it over Louise's head and is able to kind of stumble out the door to escape and she starts making a run for it and uh, shortly after Louise uh, comes to, wakes back up and is able to yell down to Dr. Genesier, like, Edna's got, she's escaped that way. And so this chase ensues. They're chasing her and she's running room to room against a big mansion. She's like not finding her way out. Ugh. And eventually we hear off screen just a, a s- scream. And Dr. Genesier runs into this room a, where the window is open. 
and looks out the window and Edna has fallen or jumped, maybe trying to get onto the roof or something, but has like accidentally fallen out of this, I think, third floor, third story window. And we see her body laying on the ground below with blood pouring from her head. And so she is she is dead. And Louise and Dr. Genesier wrap her up in a little blanket or something and take her to the same cemetery that they were just at burying the other body. And they basically toss this new body into the same grave. So this is getting to be real populated. Oof. And then we see at a police station... A woman reporting Edna missing, who whatever friend she was supposed to meet up with that night. She said she was going to meet up with a friend. And uh, basically says she never showed up. And they say, okay, well, what can you tell us about who she was with before? And this woman just says, I don't really know anything other than she mentioned she had just met a woman in a pearl necklace. And the police officer says, like, oh, look, a lot of good that's going to do. No, but it's a big pearl necklace. <laughs> big, big, big. It's kind of her thing. She uses it to hide her big neck scar. Mm-hmm. And I think she has brought along a photo of Edna. And so after she leaves, after having reported this, the police officer is looking at this photo and says, like, another of these young girls, same age as the last two, that are just turning up missing, these blue-eyed girls... Blue, basically blue-eyed college students that all kind of look alike. And another uh, police officer's in the room interviewing a young woman and walks over to this guy and says, speaking of young blue-eyed girls, what do I do with this girl? She was shoplifting. And the guy says, just give her a, a stern talking to it and let her go. And so he does and basically says, don't do it again. They let this girl go. Uh, and then we go back to Christian's house to this, to the mansion, and they're just sitting around eating dinner. Christian's face looks amazing. There's, she's back to normal, it seems, and everything went great. Her skin looks flawless. And they're all- Well, and so what's the plan then now that people think she's dead? Yes, so they have a little bit of a talk about that, and uh, the doctor says, basically, I'll get you new papers, we can get you out of the country first, you'll have to, like, build a bit of a life somewhere else first, and then you can come here with, like, a new backstory, and she kind of says, well, what about uh, Jacques, my fiancé? And they're kind of scratching their head at that. And they're like, well, he might be on board with it if we told him the truth. But, like, let me think on it. Like, he does love you so much. And the tone of this is is hopeful. People are feeling, they're feeling excited. This is a success, at least. A step in the right direction. Sure, there's some stuff to figure out. <laughs> uh, you know, there's a few roadblocks, but... Uh, but overall, I'd say good news. Great news. Yes. And would you be able to, um, get over it? Having someone say, else's face? No. Say you're engaged to be oh. married <laughs> and say they die. 
as far as you know. And then about a week later, you get told, by the way, they never died. They just were complicit in the murder and face stealing. Would you still love them? Hell yeah. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) No, I'd I'd have a pretty big problem with it. I think that um, I would have a a bigger problem with Dr. Genesier. I'd be like, okay, great. You're going to go to jail, though. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, it'd be a really hard one to um, to look past. Yeah, I would certainly have to have some some long talks about it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But they're feeling excited. And as Dr. Genesia gets called to the clinic um, to tend to one of his patients, he goes to kiss Christiane and says, you're not wearing any makeup, are you? And she says, no, why? And... He says, oh, nothing. There's just a little flush in your cheeks. And he looks a little stressed by this. And Louise follows him out, see, noticing this, and says, what's going on? And he says, I've, I've failed. Um, like, I can see that it's doing the same thing that it did last time when it rejected it. And then we get a series of medical photographs. Photographs? Photographs. of Christiane over the next 21 days as her skin starts rejecting, as her body starts rejecting the new skin. And it looks really nasty. And it's like, it's uh, the doctor's voiceover describing what's happening. And it's like day three, it notices the foreign skin and starts attacking it. By day 12, necrosis is happening. The skin has all Ew. died. Oh, fuck. And they'll basically have to, again, do surgery to remove the skin that has died because it's like rotted flesh now on Ew. her skin. Hey, maybe blood type, guys. Blood type could be something to look into. Otherwise, this would have worked perfectly. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so it has failed and we see Christiane again back in this depression. She puts the mask back on and we see Dr. Genesier practicing more on the dogs. We see a dog on the operating table. Thankfully, it's just, um... We don't see any of the actual operating happening. It just has a patch of fur that doesn't match the rest of his fur. And he's looking at it like, hmm, yes, yes. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And Christiane is just so, so sad. And so, again, sneaks out of her room, tiptoes down to the uh, room where the telephone is and calls Jacques one more time. And he says, hello, hello, who's there? This is so frustrating. Who keeps doing this? And she just says, Jacques. And he says, Christian. And at that moment, Louise walks in, catches her, slams the fo- phone down and says, what are you doing? What are you thinking? Like, you're putting us all in danger. And she's like, who did you call? Who are you talking to? And she says, nobody, nothing. <laughs> I wasn't doing anything. What? <laughs> <laughs> and Christian just starts. I'm asleep. <laughs> 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 Nothing to see here. 
And Christiane just like breaks down and sobs, and the little tears are rolling down the plastic mask. Aww. And she says she just wants to die. She says this is just torture, and we're doing such horrible things. And I don't want to live like this. And he's going to keep doing this and keep basically testing on me like one of his dogs. And I just would rather be dead than than do this. Oof. It's very sad. And then we see Jacques at the police station saying, I got a call from Christian. And they basically say, you know, that's not possible. Did you ask Dr. Genesier? He says, yeah, I asked. I asked him about it. He said it must be a, a prank or something. They say, yeah, it probably is a prank. And, uh, but then the police, the detective says, like, it is weird that all these girls that look alike have gone missing that all, all match Christian's description. And, but we don't really, we have no leads about anything except for this woman with a pearl necklace. And Jacques says, woman with a pearl necklace? I know a woman with a pearl necklace. And then we see Louise back in her car again, scoping the streets for another young woman to be their next victim. And back at the police station, they call back in the shoplifter that looked similar to the rest of the girls. Her name is Paulette. And they basically blackmail her into into doing a favor for them where they say, you know, actually, you might have to go to trial. You might go to no, you jail. You are in trouble, though. We, uh, <laughs> we change our minds. Upon further reflection, you are in big trouble unless you do this one thing for us. So she obviously agrees. And they say, we'll need you to lighten your hair and check into this hospital. And they tell her what to say. And uh, uh, Jacques works at the same hospital. That's um, how, I guess, he met Christian. But so he works with Dr. Genesier. And so he's yeah. like, Jacques will tell you what to say. He'll be there. So um, just to make sure it's all believable and you'll just go in and complain of a pain and they'll just basically examine you. And I guess they're plan is to see if anything out of the ordinary happens and so she agrees and she goes and checks in and dr genesier comes in and like is basically <laughs> salivating at the side of her he like looks like his eyes go wide uh, another perfect match their faces are the same and that's all that matters <laughs> And apparently their hair and eyes need to be the same color, even though we're not taking those. <laughs> right. Right. Some pretty strange standards that we need to meet here. Just sort of completes the mental picture. It's how you know it's the right face. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they start doing some tests on her. And Dr. Genesier is basically like, there doesn't seem to be anything wrong with her. And you can see he is keen to take her face <laughs> and so <laughs> and so he says we should discharge her tonight no use keeping a bed free like we'll we'll free up a bed if we discharge her now and so they they send her downstairs to go check out of the clinic she check she talks to the woman at the front desk and hands in her 
whatever paperwork that she needed to sign and says or and uses the phone to call her mom to tell her mom I'm, I'm coming home and asks for directions. Where do I go? And they say it's about a 15 minute walk to the bus station. And she, so she leaves. And as she steps out onto the street, Louise drives right up and offers her a ride home. She has no detectives following her. Nobody's keeping an eye on her. These are the worst detectives. What is the plan? Mm. I don't understand it. What have they been talking about? Like, why are they not keeping eyes on her? It's very strange, but they don't. So she she's like, oh, thank you so much. That's so nice of you. Gets in the car with Louise. And then we go back to the police station and see Jacques calling the detectives and being like, oh, I guess they discharged her. And I guess nothing weird happened. So I'm sorry for wasting your time. And the detectives are like, told you it was all going to be fine, but let's just make sure she gets home. Okay. Call her mom to make sure she got home. Okay. And we cut to the operating room. They are prepping (laughs) Paulette for surgery. We are drawing that line around her face again. And then there's a knock or then Louise comes in and says, there's two police officers in the clinic here to see you. And he's like, I obviously don't have time for that right now. She's like, I think they're not going to leave until they... <laughs> it's not, yeah, that's not really how it works. <laughs> <laughs> and so he goes out, um, walks from his main house to the clinic in full scrubs, which I think is automatically suspicious. Like, why are you wearing scrubs yeah. in your home? You're literally dressed for surgery right now (laughs) (laughs) like he's not just in scrubs he has his like gloves and like surgical apron and mask on and his like hairnet it's like you don't wear that at home sir anyways well you shouldn't again these detectives are not the best so he goes into the clinic and they ask him about paulette they say uh we she's involved in a in an investigation we're working on we're wondering if you've seen her And he goes over to the front desk woman and they find the paperwork that she checked out. And he basically says, see, she checked out. Once a patient goes through those doors, they're not my responsibility anymore. Like, I don't know where she is. And they're like, "Okay, great. (laughs) Thank you so much for your time. Jacques comes out finishing up his day of work and he says, Jacques, can you go see these men out? They all walk to their cars and Jacques again just apologizes for wasting their time and says, I'm so sorry. And that they say, that's okay. Like a lot of our job is following up dead leads. Like this happens all the time. And and we're so good at it. So don't (laughs) even worry about it. It was just really blowing my mind how much, how little they did to actually try to see if anything was going on. So I know that I've talked about this before, how in move in, Today's movies detectives are so good. <laughs> they're so they're like, good. In fact, everyone's a detective. It's like <laughs> they're basically superheroes. Remember in Seven, there's like a part where there's a piece of plastic in one of the victim's stomachs. And so they realize that it's being it was carved from the floor of the kitchen so they pull the refrigerator forward and see a message carved behind the, like there's so many steps that they do so many steps and these guys these guys are doing zero they're steps. doing zero steps they're like oh, okay 
Okay. Well, I don't want people to do this job. It's so easy. <laughs> uh, so they all leave. They go home and uh, back back in the operating room, we see that Christiane is in there alone with uh, Paulette. And she again walks up to her, touches her face, and Paulette wakes up and starts screaming. And Christiane grabs a scalpel and Paulette is crying. She's like handcuffed to the bed as well. And uh, or tied to the bed. And Christiane takes the scalpel and cuts the ties to the bed, lets her go, opens the door, lets her run out. And after she runs out, Louise walks in and says, Christiane, what are you thinking? What are you doing? Comes up to her, Christiane stabs her in the neck with the scalpel. Just freaking pokes it right in, stabs it right in, and it's sticking out. Ew! It's really gross, and Louise looks very shocked and kind of stumbles backwards and falls and dies. Oh! And then Christiane walks into the room with the dogs and starts opening all the cages of the dog oh, cages and all the dogs start running out. She goes back to her room with the the doves, lets all the doves out of the cages. I guess there's another dove cage too. So now there's like birds flying around, oh dogs running free. And again, she's walking um, in this very funny way. You know what? Exactly what she looks like. And if Henley were here, she would know. And I'm hoping maybe you've seen this image of Mr. Burns in The Simpsons where he is high on something and his pupils are huge and he's basically like tiptoeing through the woods. I don't remember what he's high on, but she looks like that, that she's got big okay. Mr. Burns on hallucinogenic drug drugs <laughs> and energy. And uh, we see Dr. Uh, Genesier walking back towards the main house from the clinic and as he approaches it all the dogs are running out and they all attack him and start okay these dogs know who their enemy they know, is they know and they start basically yeah ripping him apart and the, the way that this scene is filmed I was trying to find some actors rights issues because it looks like there's no way they could have safely filmed this in the 60s oh my gosh but I couldn't find anything, so nothing bad must have happened, but there you can see that he has a lot of padding on him, so they're biting his arms and his stomach, and you can see that he's padded, but his head is out, and there's just yeah. ten dogs biting him Ooh, all that'd over. that'd be very scary. I'd be so fucking scared filming that scene. Um, but I guess it was fine, because I couldn't find I anything. Guess fine. <laughs> Still, actors' rights... Yeah, I still think it was probably not great. My senses were tingling that there was some actors rights violations happening regardless of the outcome. Yeah. Um and so Christiane after she has freed everyone, one of the doves lands on her shoulder and she's walking out in her Mr. Burns walk, sees her father torn apart and disfigured and seems unaffected by it and just walks into the night into the forest and that's the end of the movie it's her just walking to her freedom wow it's a pretty good movie i really liked all it all right 
And I mean, okay, 90 minutes for a movie in the 60s, I feel like is a freaking quick ride. Yeah. Yeah, that kind of rules. Yeah, I really like it. And part the like idea of like I I'm thinking of it as a reflection of the importance we place on physical appearance is like all I could think about. Like she'd rather mm-hmm. be dead than not like stunningly beautiful. Or <laughs> at least her father would rather that. Like you can't go into the world not looking anything less than perfect is really disturbing to me. Yeah. Um, and those beauty standards. And I read in something that it was like, also the fact that you have to then take that from something, someone else is an interesting commentary Mm. on like, I can't be pretty unless you're ugly type of thing. Oof. Oof. But yeah, I really liked it. I really liked it. Listeners, give it a watch. It's on HBO Max. And... I guess I'll become a detective after this because it's so easy. It seems like you could do it. Yeah. I think I could be very good at it. Previous movies have made me think I'd be very bad at it, but not this one. Were you correct about, um, I I know very little about the show because I didn't watch it, but I know you had a hunch about Mayor of Easttown. Were you correct? No, not even close. Damn. Damn. Here's the thing. I'm very rarely correct, but I believe so strongly in myself. I'm like, this is I abs- love that. absolutely it. I feel like it's the only aspect of my life where that is true. It's watching murder, <laughs> watching murder mysteries. I feel like in everything else, it's like, you do do a good job, but I'm just like, you're so bad. You suck. But when I'm watching or reading a murder mystery, I'm like, you fucking know things that nobody else you knows. Genius, you fucking <laughs> genius. genius. And it's never true. But it's because there's so many traditional like tricks and things that they do in murder mysteries to lead lead you to think certain ways that I'm always like, well, it's not that because that's what they want me to think. And then the trick is to make literally every single person a suspect. And that's how you really confuse people. But truly, almost nobody got Mayor of Easttown. I was looking at articles, articles leading up to the finale of the kind of ranking of who's the most suspicious, who's the most likely. And I went back and looked at him later. None of them, none of them had the actual killer even ranked in it at all. Pretty impressive on Mayor of Easttown's part to make it a completely unpredictable killer. Yeah. Dang. Yeah, that's hard to do. That's hard to do. Congratulations, Mayor of Easttown. She's a great detective. congrats. She's a great detective. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Okay. So, I mean, we got to do a French accent. Oh, fun. A French. Okay. French. A French. Mm-hmm. Um, be our guest. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, From all of us here. At two scary. Oh boy. Oh, that was that. At two scary. Didn't watch. Two scary. Didn't watch. Two scary. Didn't watch. Two scary. Didn't watch. Two scary. Oh, oh, it's too scary. I didn't watch. Au revoir. Goodbye. Au revoir. Goodbye. See you later. See you later. See you later. 
thank you all so much for listening to another episode of Too Scary Didn't Watch. If you like the show, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Rate and review on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on social media at TSDW Podcast on Instagram and Twitter. Become a patron at patreon.com slash TSDW Podcast for bonus episodes, trailer reactions, maybe some video episodes, all sorts of stuff over there for you. So head on over if you are interested and if not, we will just see you right here next week with a regular episode. We cannot wait. We love you so much. Bye. Bye.